Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Never Open Podcast, the podcast open to everyone, especially our special guest. My name is Luke. I am your host of the Never Open Pod, and with me, as usual, is Mr. Andy. But hey, with us for the first time ever is Mr. Robbie Eagles. Say hello, Mr. Robbie. Uh, hello, Mr. Robbie. That's oh, stealing my shit. Man, sorry, sorry, sorry. I listen to the uh, I listen to the podcast too much. I know exactly what line to hit. Because <laughs> uh, Gino didn't say, "Oh, Mr. Gino," but uh, Robbie, you're like, "Hi, Mr. Robbie." It's like, yes. Oh, that was worth it just now. All right, and thanks for listening, everybody. That's uh... <laughs> so yes. Uh, there are many questions that uh, both of us have for you, Mr. Robbie Eagles, but I'm going to ask one first because it's really dumb and it's on my head, and I, I have to ask it. I don't know if you're aware of these, but there are these things called the New Japan Pro Wrestler Diaries. And it's only Japanese wrestlers that really do these. So uh, are you aware of them? I'm not asking if you've read them or anything, but have you been asked to do them? Like, what would be in your wrestler diary? Would it have anything to do with wrestling? Because so far, what we've read is very bereft of actual wrestling stories. (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm aware of them because I have sometimes been featured in photos of other wrestlers on tour. Um, I think if you go on Makabe's diary or his blog or whatever he has, I've definitely been in the background or the forefront of some of those pictures. Uh, What he has written about me, have no idea. I don't read (laughs) Japanese yet. Um, And I'm too lazy. I'm too lazy to go online and hit Google Translate. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if it was my diary, though, it would pretty much be along the same lines of what you guys are already reading. It would be travels on the road, some weird interactions and experiences that we we kind of gain over during that period of traveling. And then also just like my downtime stuff, it would probably be about the food that I ate. I do try to have some of the local delicacies when we're in certain towns where they're renowned for certain meals. And um, I do like to go to things like arcades and have a game or two, especially of like something I have no understanding of. I go, this is a rhythm game. I have no understanding of what the song is. I don't really know what buttons I'm supposed to press, but I'm going to give it a red hot go anyway. That sounds way better than any of the wrestling diaries that we've read so far. I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty, pretty bad so far, but uh, that that's interesting. So you mentioned that you don't read Japanese. Obviously I'm sure that you know some words in Japanese and I've learned over the years that in pro wrestling, it's kind of a universal language for many reasons. One because a lot of the move names are either in Spanish or English, but also, you know, in new Japan, you guys don't really say you don't really talk that much when you're in the ring. Like what, what's it like wrestling someone who you cannot really communicate with outside of wrestling? Uh, well, I mean, look, we, we all hit each other the same way. That's the best way to read the body language, I guess. Uh, but yeah, like it, it, wrestling is really a universal language. We all, we all learn it maybe differently from different cultures, like you kind of touched on, you know, whether it's a, a Lucha Libre Hispanic culture or the uh, the American style TV wrestling and Japanese pro wrestling is so different to everything else as well. But I think that's been a benefit of being an Australian wrestler is that we kind of have always had this hybrid style in Australia. We haven't really stuck to one of those mainstream styles of wrestling. Um, you get a lot of the, the British catches catch can you get some Lucha Libre uh, flavor in here. And then as we've had more and more Australians take part in Japanese wrestling, more of that's kind of become ingrained into the culture here. So I think it's just been uh, luck of the dice, really. And, you know, starting in Australia has really helped me out in learning 
all aspects of pro wrestling and being able to wrestle with anyone and everyone. So uh, it definitely can get difficult. And I am studying the language now. I do know a few more words than some of the other guys on tour. Uh, I am generally one of the, the the foreigners that has to help people say, oh, they're asking if you want a bag at the convenience store. <laughs> um, when they're looking quite like blankly at me, like, Robbie, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> uh, so I think because of that, it's forced me to go, hey, I should probably find out a little bit more so I can help even more in those situations, especially when we're in the country towns and it gets real hairy. But yeah, like wrestling is so universal. Sometimes you don't even have to speak at all. It's just, uh, it's especially when you've got that chemistry, it just happens. I noticed that about the uh, Aussie wrestling style. You've kind of opened the floodgates for Aussie wrestlers in, in New Japan, Mr. Robbie Eagle. So, and Trudy Word, like they're all got different styles. So you've got Dung Silla with he's this, uh, you know, big machine. You've got Kyle Fletcher who kind of compliments him with the, the kind of fast moving stuff. And then you've got uh, TMDK as well. So it's pretty cool. Uh, also, you can uh, have the bragging rights still that uh, you were the first Australian New Japan champion. How's that feel? Oh, it feels fantastic, especially considering you had Gino on here and you've told me I've opened the floodgates. So fuck Gino and his appearance in the Rambo. That doesn't mean shit. Um, and as, as far as I'm concerned, he still thinks he's Bullet Club. He's not willing to join on with other Aussies. He's not trying to jump on the bandwagon with Shane and Mike. Like he he still wants his Bullet Club tracksuit and he's not going to get it. Um, so, yeah, fuck Gino. Uh, but it, it is it is funny that you mentioned TMDK because they were actually the kind of pioneers. And if you look way back when, and it's available online pretty easily to watch, there's a young Mikey Nichols as a young lion against a young Hiroki Goto as a young lion in a tag team match also featuring other Australian Hartley Jackson uh, from about 2006 after they spent some time wow. in the original LA dojo. So Mike and Shane especially have really been – setting the standard for Aussies in Japan from their time in Noah and even prior to that, just their training with the LA Dojo and what they did get to do with New Japan on the short run. Uh, so it's funny that you say that I'm kind of opening the gates for Aussies to come in, including them back into New Japan, because really they're, they're, they're my senpais, you know what I mean? Like I'm not on the same side as them, but I still look up to Shane and Mike as the guys that kind of paved the way for me to get my foot in the door and make, make a name for myself in Japan. And, um, you know, I still hold a pinfall victory over Shane in a tag team match that also featured Mike in 2012. So I will hold that high over their heads every chance I get and uh, ask them how many IWGP titles they've won. And they uh, respond with zero and I respond with two. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're trying to get their first one, but I don't know, man. Team Fisherman, they're not messing around. So, you know, but uh, I, you know, I really enjoy what you said about it being like a melting pot of wrestling styles in Australia, because like one of the best things about the Australian wrestlers coming in is yes, they have great offense and lots of wrestlers has great offense, but it's the other side of it. You know, we in particular have noticed like Dunkzilla is just a bump machine. And it's like, it's like these guys, it, they really understand that, you know, it's a give and take. And that's not always the case with every wrestler. Yeah, I think it's just like a uh, part of coming up in this country too. We've had to work really hard and kind of go unknown for so long. We're on this the outskirts of the the wrestling world or the wrestling universe, however you want to look at it. And because of that, we've gone, look, I'm not going to wrestle knowing that 
no one's watching me on a world scale. I'm going to wrestle so that I'm wrestling to the same level of people at WrestleMania and people in Wrestle Kingdom and people in, in CMLL and, and all these other like big name promotions in mainstream wrestling. We're wrestling like we're on TV every freaking night because we want to be able to go as soon as the eyes are on us from major wrestling company that wants to sign us to a contract, we knock it out of the park. So they have no option, but to come up to us afterwards and go, here's the deal, sign it right now. Uh, <laughs> so I think, so I think, you know, Davis, especially as someone that I grew up with, and I was previously in a tag team with probably before Carl Fletcher was even fucking born, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but having, having that close connection with him, you know, I've seen him work so hard and like some of the, uh, the the roadblocks he's had in his career have been so heartbreaking to me as a, as a friend and a peer and a, and a colleague. So uh, he's definitely one of those guys that's not making little of these opportunities. He's get, he get, he, he's making the most out of every opportunity that he's got in new Japan, whether it's long-term or short-term. So, yeah, I mean, for you guys to say that you can see that through his performances, I think that means a world to him as well. Oh, maybe one day we'll get to ask him that. That would be awesome. You know, he doesn't do podcasts. No, that makes sense, you know. That's all right. But he can he can sit in the room and we can ask Kyle Fletcher all the questions. We can turn to Mark Davis, ask him, and then he can relay flow for us. No. That, that. You, <laughs> might, shake his head you might get lucky with that. You might get lucky with that. Otherwise, you can ask me and I'll ask Kyle and Kyle will ask Davis. So. Oh, man. All right. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> I don't know if the Speaking. United Empire guys like me very much, though. So I uh, I got to tiptoe that line. We, we were once friends. We're on opposite sides of the fucking battle lines now, I guess. So. It's a little bit awkward. Might have been easy to put all the Aussie guys together, but I kind of like that you're all spread out a bit in New Japan. It's, that's it's pretty way good. Way better. Yeah. But uh, speaking of Kyle Fletcher, uh, um, shit, I'm already tingling because I'm very lucky. Next week on February 4th uh, in Thornbury, I can't remember the name of the venue. You probably know Mr. Robbie, but uh, I'm going to get to see you in a singles match against Kyle Fletcher. So uh, hell yeah. I'm, I'm very excited about that, uh, seeing you in Tamashi. Hopefully I pronounced that right next week. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't have a question. I'm just really excited to go to that show. <laughs> well, okay, so, like, you don't have a question. I'm glad you're excited about it because, uh, you know, I think Kyle and I are equally as excited about it. Um, like I already mentioned, obviously we're on we're in different – lines of the sand here he's in united empire as part of aussie open i'm doing my thing in chaos and you know i've i've got the tenure over him in in new japan so the other interesting story is that i i trained carl fletcher when he came into the business at fucking 14 years old um it, it still gets to me how young he is even now and how much he's achieving in his career like i'm very i'm, I'm very happy for him especially to be in new japan but I'm also extremely jealous that he is where he is at his age and it took me so long to kind of get here. But if anything, I did help open the door for him, then I'm, I'm all for that. I'm very happy. This, this match in uh, it's the Croxton band room in uh, Thornbury on uh, the 4th of February is very special teacher versus student. And uh, the, the thing is we, we have about 10 years apart in age um, so he's got the youth on his side, but I've a hundred percent got the experience and some people, like I know the, uh, the guys that we work stiff have kind of dubbed it, you know, 
open weight Bob or Bob open weight, however you want to look at it. That's uh, the alter ego I'll be running with on the day because it is a junior versus a heavy. And I've expressed that I want more of those matches. You know, one of my dream matches is to wrestle Kenta one-on-one and I'm still going to be gunning for that however I can. Um, the I never open weight championship is right there as an <gasps> open weight championship. And I want to, I want to have a crack at it at some point, you know, like that's, that's not something I've been keeping a secret. It's something I've been talking about. So just because I'm a junior, I don't want to keep myself to one division. If there's an opportunity to, to get in there with the heavies, I want to prove myself. And I think I kind of can start doing that this Saturday and you're so lucky to be in attendance for it. The second time you'll see me live, right? We ran into each other at, at DMDU, uh, yes, that's 20, right. start of 2021 when I wrestled, uh, Davis funnily enough. So now you see me wrestle the other person right. of the Aussie Open tag team. <laughs> uh, but were you at, uh, for instance, myself versus Will Ospreay in Festival Hall? Oh yes. I have a note to ask you about that, but yes, cause, uh, <laughs> it's fun to mention that because Gina was just like, Oh my God, it was a nightmare to, to put together. And I'm just like, I didn't see any of that. I'm just watching the show and it was amazing. I don't remember that. Uh, you and you and Osprey wrestled for nearly half an hour. It might have been about half an hour as well. Uh, and uh, I'm enjoying it, and I'm just a little cringy at the audience because I don't mind how rowdy we get. We get a bit rowdy like the uh, United States audiences, but uh, I don't know, man. This is shows being taped, and we're all dropping the C bombs. Like, but I'm like, okay, all right, that's what we're doing. It's fine. It's fine. We, you know, it's it's. I, it's perfectly fine. And the rowdier the crowd is, the better the show is anyway, right? Yeah. I think that, that I was... think that sets the atmosphere as well. It really makes people want to be a part of the Australian audience to be like, fuck, we can say cunt, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel nice to say, you know? <laughs> yeah, it does. But yeah, that, that was like uh, 20 or 30 minutes. I think you were hadn't been in New Japan that long at the time as well. It, it was... Or, or you had been just like it was like your first home show, I guess, and you're fighting like, uh, oh, Osprey, how was that match? What was the atmosphere like for you and the vibe? Uh, just kind of doing a New Japan match, but this time like in, in front of Australians this time, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, my only other experience in that sort of setting was uh, the first tour that New Japan actually did in early 2018 uh, when it was like Cody and the Young Bucks and Kenny mm. was here. Um, that was kind of like an all-star tour and I got to be a part of the um, the last three legs. I got to be on the, uh, the Sydney, Melbourne and Perth shows. And I think, you know, uh, the thing I'm most known for at on that one is I had a triple threat with uh, Will Ospreay and Cody uh, in Perth. That oh, that's right, yeah. Kind of blew people away because – there was a lot of like, there was a lot of people that came to that tour that still didn't know me, even though I'd been wrestling locally for a long time at that point already. Uh, so I think I really had to kind of show out and show what I was capable of, and you know, putting me in there with someone like Will, who I'd done the dance with a couple times at that point, uh, gave me some good, some good groundwork to play off. But then you know, having someone like Cody in there as well was incredible. He just he had worked the crowd into such a frenzy, and then he is such a great person outside of the ring too. I can't say enough nice things about Cody. He's always been really nice and good to me. Um, and he's very open. So that makes putting matches like that together a lot easier. 
and uh, I think it was just one of those one of those nights where everything kind of came together. I was extremely tired. I had not slept on a proper bed for pretty much the whole tour, except for when we were in Sydney for a few hours. Uh, and I had to house a bunch of the other wrestlers just because, you know, lodging was a bit of an issue for that tour. And that might be one of the things that Gino would discuss on the <laughs> two, two and a wow, half hour episode he eventually does. <laughs> um yeah there was there was a lot of there was a lot, a lot of nightmarish issues on the first one as well and Gino was heavily involved in that too so uh you know you're going to have to get him on to mm. talk about both the uh the previous Australian tours but but fast forwarding to Festival Hall in 2019 I'd only been with the company less than a year I debuted for New Japan at the Super Junior Tag League in the end of 2018 so it was less than a year by the time we rolled around to Festival Hall I'd done my first best of the Super Juniors and I think that's that was kind of my coming out party, but this match at the time up until I think early 2020 or might've been past that uh, we had had the longest IWGP junior title match in history before Hiromu and show overtook us by about a minute. So we went for about 36 minutes in festival hall from memory and show and Hiromu topped us a few months later at 37. Um, It was a long match. It was an incredible atmosphere because, you know, I'm sure you know how important Festival Hall is to Australia and Australian wrestling and other entertainment in Australia too. It's a a major music and performance venue um, that at one point was on the the brink of getting torn down. So, you know, when we were putting on that that show for Southern Showdown, we thought this might be one of the last kind of live events to take place at, at Festival Hall and, yes, specifically last wrestling show. So we're constantly chasing that, that golden age of professional wrestling in Australia from the seventies and eighties when festival hall and Horton pavilion in Sydney were like the go-tos where you'd have Andre the giant and Harley race and Ric Flair turning up to wrestle our local champions. And to be a part of the marquee of that in a title match for new Japan pro wrestling, my first title match for them. It was incredible. Uh, there were so many people that I'd seen along my career there in support from Sydney, from Melbourne, from other parts of Australia, in the industry, outside of the industry. Uh, but the, the thing that was at the back of my mind constantly, and I've spoken about this a couple of times, um, but it might be un- unknown to you guys, is I actually tore my MCL about five days prior to that match. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, actually wrestling in Melbourne for World Series wrestling against um, another international wrestler. Uh, so it was touch and go if I was actually going to be able to, to make that match. Um, I, if you go back and look at it, I've got a pretty heavy knee brace on and that's the only thing that really kept me standing really. Um, and towards the end of the match, it it is quite obvious that I don't have the same steam that I normally would in these matches, especially now at full health. Uh, and I think that's part of it, not to make excuses, but I, I love to look back at that match with Will and say, I did that on one fucking leg. I still gave everyone yeah. more more than what their ticket was worth because I wanted people to walk away going, yep, yeah, like that was that was worth everything I paid to be here. That was worth all the time I put to be here. Because at the end of the day, I know what it's like to be a fan and I always want to over-deliver where possible. And I think Will and I really did that in Festival Hall and – Hey, you know, uh, if Will Ospreay wants to uh, wants to come down to this open weight division that I'm kind of circling around, I wouldn't mind giving him another go because we're two and two in singles matches, so we uh, we might need the rubber. Oh man, no kidding. Well, that's uh, I got a lot of respect for that. That's tremendous, man. I I do have a question about another match, right? And 
this is got this is like I, I am not Australian, so I was aware of who you were, but I didn't really, you know, it didn't didn't click with me until I saw a certain match. And it was uh I believe it was Doki, maybe like one of his first matches in New Japan. It was, at, you know, for the best of Super Juniors at Kurgan Hall. And uh, you guys are, you know, he he, he he does the splits. You go to the outside and he DDTs you on a chair and you just start bleeding out of your head. And then you guys go on to have a tremendous match that made me notice both of you guys. And ever since then, I've been a fan. You know, uh, what was it like wrestling Doki? And what does the Doki Chokey feel like? Hey, that's that's when our rivalry started. He's he's one of those guys that no matter what, whenever we're lined up against each other, whether it's in six man tags or one on one, we're always kind of poking the bear with one another. And if you've ever seen our backstage comments, for whatever reason, Doki loves to quote WWF wrestlers to me. <laughs> yes. Um, so I I listen, I watch, and I play off that because you know that was that was my childhood. I was an Attitude Era guy. So uh, and even prior to that, in the late 90s. So if he wants to quote. Mick Foley, I'll, I'll quote The Rock right back at him. Um, and that's just part of our fun prior to uh, getting in there with each other. But, yeah, that, that match is really memorable. Um, I remember feeling like when I landed head first on that chair, it just it just felt like the top of my head felt hot straight away. Mm. And then I, I could almost hear it coming out of my head. It was, it was a little disheartening. And a little tidbit is I kind of – press my my palm to my the top of my head to check and I see that there's blood but at this stage obviously I can't I can't see how bad the cut is I I don't know how much blood is coming out but I look at Shota who was still a young boy at that point a young lion and I'm like oh Shota is it bad and he looks at my head and then looks at me and just goes <gasps> and then like <laughs> almost like <laughs> right uh, yeah so that that didn't really help me, but you know, you're out there in a packed Corican hall that's going that's going wild. And Doki and I were relative unknowns in that tournament. I had done a little bit of time in New Japan, but you know, the the, the local audience, especially and the international audience, were still getting to know me, um, especially as part of the Bullet Club and who the sniper of the skies was. And Doki had come in as a last minute replacement for for El Desperado, who broke his jaw, I think, a week or two before that, so he had to pull out. So I think there was almost no expectations of what we were going to do on that night specifically, especially against each other. And I think we knocked it out of the park. The blood definitely helped because uh, it just made people go, hey, this thing happened. you got to go see at least that part of it. And then I think what we were able to kind of put together afterwards was, uh, was, was magic. And we are rivals because I think we've got great chemistry. And it, it does go under the radar sometimes, I think. But, you know, Doki's one of those guys – when I was holding the IWGP junior title in 2021, I really wanted to defend it against him because I wanted to see what Doki would do in that big match environment. Um, hey, but there's still, there's still plenty of time for both of us. We're yes. not, we're not old yes. by any means. So, uh, you know, and if Doki ever wants to come to, to Australia for new Japan Tamashi, the door, the doors open for him. I'll gladly take him on in a, in a main event or a semi main event and uh, show Australia exactly what, what I mean when I say that I'm going to, get the phone and call Doki and say what's up (laughs) (laughs) well I mean there's only one person that gets that reference and I'm going to keep it that way okay (laughs) well I mean you could quit chaos and join just four guys 
you know? What yeah, but think? then they'd be just five guys. I don't think it'll work. No, they're always just going to be four guys. And then wouldn't there be like copyrights with five guys, the burger chain, and there'd be yeah. all this? That's not a good burger chain, by the way. Or do we just kick out Taka <laughs> and I take his spot? There you go. There you go. Well, but Taka, then Taka still comes out with you guys and announces you, but it's still just four guys and he just sits in the crowd. I'll well, see. It gets confusing now. I'm I'm confused already. <laughs> yeah, I'm confused. It's not gonna work. Remembering like uh, you wrestling with the bad leg. There's something about New Japan Pro Wrestling Juniors that uh, Mr. Guy and I have noticed. It's that you all hate legs. What is it with juniors and legs in New Japan? You all hate Why do you them. hate legs? <laughs> well, look. I mean, when you hear junior heavyweight wrestling as like a phrase or as a term or a division. You constantly kind of pictured almost like WCW cruiserweight style, right? Like you, you think high flying first, or at least fast paced, because you're a smaller build, you're a smaller frame. You can you can do a little bit more acrobatics. You can you can float around the ring a little bit more. So for me, it just always made sense to kind of take my opponents out from the legs. But mind you, I developed this style when I was here in Australia wrestling pretty much everyone that was just bigger than me. There wasn't many people that were my size uh-huh. here. Uh, so for me, it was all tactics and that's why, you know, the sniper of the skies is the, the nickname that I've been dubbed because I would do it in a way where I would mix that kind of acrobatic high flying ideology, but I wouldn't strike high. I'd strike low because I knew that I had a better chance of winning if I could kind of chop the tree down from the, from the base is how I would look at it. The fact that everyone else wants to follow suit. Hey, I just feel like they've been watching me secretly. uh, Despy's like, you know what? That's a that's a good idea. I'm gonna take Robbie's <laughs> technique. He won't he won't ever come to New Japan. And then lo and behold, he's like, ah shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just a I think it's just a, a good way to wrestle as a well-rounded wrestler, especially wrestlers that do have that kind of open weight dream as well. Because you know, it's that it's that that classic saying of you know the the bigger they are, the harder they fall. So if you can take them out at the legs and make them fall when they don't want to, it, it makes them a lot easier to pin or submit. So th- there is a lot of us that have the fuck your leg mentality. Um, <laughs> it, it, it does remind me a lot of uh, Monty Python when the guy gets like his limbs chopped off and he's like, it's all yeah. right, it's just a flesh wound. And that's kind of how I feel when scratch. like I'm, I'm facing off with Despy and both of us are limping pretty severely. <laughs> and I'm like... I almost want to say to him, "Come on, man, let's let's just shake let's just shake hands and just one of us kind of like get it over with." But yeah, let's just hope the next set of juniors that come in don't also like to fuck with legs. I mean, damn, it's 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 one of our favorite things, and you know, I know Canamaro definitely stole it from you as well. But uh, <laughs> wait, I my I I you've been you know a singles champion obviously in New Japan, but you've also been a juniors tag champion, and I listen. You grow up watching wrestling. You're a junior. You love the junior style, the Japanese junior style in particular. And then you get to tag with Tiger Mask. Tell me all about Tiger Mask winning titles with him and how awesome it is tagging with a legend. Dude, it was like surreal. Uh, being put into an actual tag team with him. And then like, cause we do a lot of one-offs, even in six-mans and eight-mans and stuff like that. You might team with people from Hontai, especially with the Chaos and Hontai relationship that we have right now. And you just think, okay, this is just for this match, and then that's kind of it. And then we just kind of gelled. And he 
it's really funny to look back at my my original match in New Japan for the Super Junior Tag League was alongside Ishimori as my partner against Jushin Thunder Liger and Tiger Mask. Wow. And Tiger Mask whipped my ass in that match. He kicked the <laughs> shit out of me. He did not like me one bit. So to come to this full circle only a few years later and like get the opportunity to team with him and he's kind of you know, leaning into it a little bit. And he's also giving me lessons on the side and telling me things I could do better, especially from the striking side of things. I was like, you know what? This is, this is really cool because this is Tiger Mask. He's, he's a legendary wrestler. I remember watching him in early Michinoku Pro uh, before he had come to New Japan. So it's great to have that person as your teammate and your ally. And it doesn't matter that he's you know, 20, 20 years over my age, uh, he's got so much experience and such knowledge of this industry that it's invaluable what he can bring to the ring. And he can still go. It, like when, when he turns it on, he turns it on, man. Like, and I've seen him hit people and them drop like a fly. And I'm like, fuck, I'm glad that's not me anymore because I remember when I was <laughs> 2018. And that shit sucked. But also outside of the ring, he's he's probably one of the funniest guys backstage, honestly. He says some wild shit, shit that I can't repeat on this podcast because it cannot be on record. But he, <laughs> he said some shit that just made us, like, drop to the floor in hysterics. So uh, underrated comedian, and that's why every time Tiger Mask is opposite to Gucci, must watch. Even if I'm in the match, I'm like, if I'm hurting and I'm on the floor, I'm like, okay, I know Taguchi and Tiger are in there right now. I need to get my eyes on the canvas. <laughs> I need to just rest on the apron just a little bit, just so I can have a quick peek. <laughs> yeah, just catch my breath, catch my breath, and uh, try not to laugh at whatever they, they pull off. <laughs> See, I can imagine you, like, you know, y- your eyes have just risen above the surface of the apron, and then the first thing you see, it's Taguchi's bum. Man. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, through the air. <laughs> maybe great for you guys, not for me if I've got the ass right in my face. But... <laughs> Robbie, we, we know you're involved in these two Aussie shows that are coming up. Are you involved in the All-Star Juniors Festival? Are you allowed to talk about that, first of all? And is that something you're excited about? Uh, so, look, they've only announced one person for the All-Star Junior Festival so far, as, as as far as I know, and that's the man that kind of made this all happen, Hiromu Takahashi. So I can't tell you whether or not I am involved. Uh, am I keen on this and interested? Absolutely. As soon as I saw that it was actually happening, I was over the moon, um, just because the possibilities are so fruitful and endless. Um, I put it out there that my original coach from my time – uh, on my first tour of Japan, which was actually for Zero One in 2012, I spent three months there touring with them. And I got to uh, be in a tag team with who was my coach, my main senpai in uh, Ikuro Hidaka, who's such a legendary wrestler in terms of like people that are the top of the game now took inspiration from him because he was the junior heavyweight for a lot of us back in like the mid to late 2000s. Uh, so if I got an opportunity to team with him or fight him, I would absolutely froth at that idea. Um, there's a friend of mine from my time in zero one who wrestles under Jason Lee for dragon gate. Uh, he's originally from Hong Kong and he's made himself a staple of dragon gate. Now I would love to get in there and mix it up with him. Cause he was ba- had barely been wrestling like a year or two and was like really young. He was like 20 or 21 
when I first met him. He might have even been 19. Um, but to see him develop into the wrestler he is, and you know, he has that Dragon Gate style now, so I'd love to see how I match up with that. Uh, th- there's so many matches that I think would be fantastic to see on that card. And whether I'm there or not, you know, it, it, it's going to be a benefit for the juniors of Japan and of the world regardless. So, you know, I, I won't be, I will be upset if I'm not a part of it, but I understand logistics and timing and things like that. And also I'm, I'm a part of new Japan all the time. If this is the opportunity to get someone from a lesser known Japanese promotion, an opportunity on that stage and new Japan world at Corican hall, then I'm all for it because we've got to share the wealth. Um, if you're too greedy, then that's when your opportunities stop coming to you. So to take a break uh, is not a bad thing. It's also really good for my body, to be honest. And uh, I have a really good setup here at home where I've got a a great hot tub. I pull out the wheelie TV and I put on New Japan World and I go, yeah, I'd much prefer watching you guys hit each other really hard and me just sitting here (laughs) with like a rum and ginger ale in my hand. So, uh, you know, that that won't be the worst thing in the world, to be honest. I'm interested in, in ELP uh, and your feud with ELP, because again, you know, as someone who wasn't, you know, familiar with you until after I started paying attention with the Doki match, honestly, you, you know, got replaced in Bullet Club by ELP, basically, you know, he took your tag team partner and uh, it was disgusting. It was uh, lewd. It was lascivious. It was terrible. Um, but at the same time, that feud brought out the best in both of you and your matches are fantastic. And it's like one of those amazing new Japan, like feuds. That's just like 10 years from now, all that story will still be there. If you guys just happen to meet up in a tag match or something like that. And it's just, it's one of the, I, I love new Japan storytelling. And this whole story is a big part of that. What What's it like wrestling ELP? And is he really that big of a shithead? Fuck. I hate him so much. Like <laughs> it's, it's, outside of words that I can express how much I actually hate him. Um, but you're not wrong. He does bring out the best in me. And I did say that after our Corican main event last year, uh, he, I did thank him for that just because I don't think I could get to the level I'm at now. If I didn't have someone like ELP across the other side of the ring from me, because he really finds ways to not only get under your skin, but like, pull out things that you've never seen before. So you've got to be even better than the last time. And he's really smart. I'll give him that. He may act dumb, but he's actually really smart. So he's, he's quite wise when it comes to wrestling between the ropes and he watches stuff, he studies and, you know, proof, proof in that last match, him, him pulling off the turbo backpack on me flawlessly. And that's, that's a move that a lot of people cannot get right. Even when I'm trying to teach my younger students in training to show them the techniques that I use, people fuck it up all the time. But ELP hit that absolutely to perfection to the point where I was like, Oh shit, this is what it feels like when I drop people on the (laughs) neck. Not, not great. No wonder I get close to pinning them on this. Um, So yeah, I mean, the relationship we had when it first started, like when we first came into our first super juniors together and met, um, we were friendly, but there was always something a little bit off. And then when he just decided to kind of like take that opportunity to, to, to force him and Ishimori to be a, a team, there was no discussion between the three of us. It's just something that happened. That was kind of like the last straw for me. And then I really got the sense that he was all about himself as much as he cared about Ishimori and the tag belts and bullet club and whatever else. It's still about El Phantasma at the end of the day. He's he's the 
the main the main character in his story you know what i mean like he he doesn't have any side characters there's there's no sidekicks nothing like that it's all about him um so i think once it got to a boiling point and it kind of it all came to head for that southern showdown tour in 2019 he kept trying to make himself a part of my story and I needed that to be my story. You know what I mean? Like it, it, I had been kind of on my own making my way to new Japan that whole time. So I didn't need someone's assistance and he took it upon himself to keep trying to make it about him. So I, I gave him what for and decked him in the head in Melbourne and then denounced bullet club the following night in Sydney, when it all kind of came to a head with Jay and Fale and ghetto. And you know, the, the rest is as they say history, but our history is something that I think people will always look back at fondly. And uh, I like to look at it that after I submitted him in the super juniors last year, he went, fuck this. I don't want to ever have to wrestle Robbie again. I'm moving to heavyweight. Yeah. So uh, yeah. good riddance, but Hey, open weight Bob's here. So if he ever wants to do the tango <laughs> again and he's willing to put the boots on and he's not going to run out of his boots scared like a, like a pussy. Uh, you know, the match is there <laughs> waiting for him. But uh, all that's going to happen is we're going to repeat history and I'm going to tap him out again because it felt so good. It's got to be cool though, right? You, you've got this move, the turbo backpack, and you don't realize this till you start teaching people the move that, oh, wait, I've come up with a really hard to do unique kind of move here that uh, <laughs> that's going to be pretty cool. It, it definitely is. I mean, I took inspiration of that move from uh, another wrestler in the US. I think he was um, like just an independent wrestler that I had caught wind of. And he did he did a similar technique, but a little bit differently. So I haven't completely come up with myself and I like to be honest about that sort of stuff. But the way that I do it is very much my own version and interpretation of it. So the actual turbo backpack, as you see it, is 100% a Robbie Eagles thing. Um, but if you want... Uh, insight as to how that move was named i can actually give you the story and it actually does oh, it does feature one dunkzilla davis so um yay there's i i mean someone hopefully listening to this will scour the internet and find it but there's like a an early meme video of like this kid in just like a white wife beater tank top singlet thing and i feel like he's just in his tidy whities kind of and he's like He's doing exercises for fat kids, I guess. And he's just on his webcam doing this thing. He's probably like, I don't know, 10 to 12 years old. And at one point he starts doing this variation of a squat and he, he calls it the backpack because he's making a motion like he's putting a bag over his shoulders. And then he starts doing it really fast and he goes, now let's do the turbo backpack. And Davis and I, <laughs> Davis and I watched this and we thought it was fucking hilarious. And then when I started doing that move more, I was like, I'm going to call that shit the Turbo Backpack. I love Jingle All The Way, so that's also part of the reference. Oh, Um, oh, okay. If you saw a a tweet that I put out from a a match I had at PWA where I hit an Avalanche Turbo Backpack against Paris De Silva, my caption for it was, put the cookie down now. Ah, I get it now. (laughs) I get it now. I didn't understand the caption. (laughs) Now you've got all the background. I do have kind of a general question, and it's a question that a lot of people have asked me when I brought up your name. What's with all the bandanas? Yeah, I, I honestly can't answer that. Um, <laughs> it's, 
it just started it was it was very much a thing that like so i was trained uh by ryan and madison eagles uh who are like infamous here in australia for the history of the wrestling from the early 2000s especially um and bandanas was kind of like a theme a motif for our family so uh you know i i think i originally was just wearing the headpiece bandana and ryan would wear the neckerchief sort of style and then i started doing the neckerchief and the headpiece and then it actually became a little bit of a gag within my first year where it was how many bandanas can yeah. Robbie wear <laughs> i think there was a point where i was wearing one on my elbow one on my knee one on my ankle so i had at least five to six on at one point and then it started getting a bit too much and i dialed it right back but it's it's kind of just been like i guess a signature thing like a, a visual representation of me like you you look at the bandanas on the head and the neck and you know it's Robbie Eagles straight away and that's just something that I've always wanted to to keep from the start of my career to now rather than people change their looks all the time I'll change my my gear or the the color schemes that I go with but I think the bandanas are something that will stay forever it's you're rocking the shorts lately <laughs> yeah and Look, part of that is because I used to wear trunks before I, I came to New Japan and way back when I wore different variations of shorts and stuff. But actually one time at the Nogay Dojo, I was working out and uh, Honma came up to me and he said, Ruby, <laughs> big leg. And I kind of went, maybe I should get these, these bad boys out a little bit more. And that's kind of what made me force the switch get the leg guns showing <laughs> hey if it sells extra t-shirts i'll do whatever i have to oh. i'm just not gonna i'm just not gonna go full nude that's uh that's a scale i'm not willing to go to <laughs> no robbie eagles only fans everyone i'm sorry no look we, we came close enough with this last super juniors and my incredibly short trunks that was a mishap it was just bad timing and uh some measurements went askew but I fixed that right after that tour. So I do apologize to everyone that got a, a lot of Robbie Eagles over that last Super Juniors. Um, don't worry. I fully knew about it. Uh, there was nothing I could do. But uh, I, I think the T-shirt sales did increase over that month. So uh, you're all welcome. <laughs> so if you're backstage, all right, you got Hanma there growling at you. Tiger Mask is, is warming up, cracking jokes. Who is it that comes walking by? that it's just your favorite guy your favorite person to come walking by and be like oh yes it's just japanese legend wrestling type they're everywhere there who's the best oh uh, look i mean it, it it's all of them you kind of mentioned it but two for me that really stand out are kojima and tenzan just because nice. tenkozy is a team that i've been watching for years and i started really watching japanese wrestling probably around 2003 2004 and uh i have spoken to a lot of staff for new Japan and also done done so in interviews for new Japan. But like one of the matches that really hooked me on new Japan pro wrestling was the G one finals between, uh, Hiroshi Tenzan and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, that it's in, it's from 2004. You got to go back and watch it. It's incredible, incredible match. And, you know, I hadn't seen New Japan heavyweights up, up to that point. I'd only seen things like the Super J Cup and a few best of the Super Juniors kind of outings. So to see those two, I was just I was just hooked and enamored. And Tenzan's such a sweetheart. He's so nice. So is Kojima. They're really polite. They're really pleasant. And look, Kojima's a gun. He can still fucking go. He can yeah. 
like he can hit some lariats on people and they still look like murder. And, and Tenzan, as much as, you know, his, his body might not be what it used to be, he still gets in there and gives it a red hot crack. And he still has this, this vibrant attitude towards pro wrestling and he can still turn it on in like the facial expressions where like, I've been across the ring from him and I've hit him and I've gone, this motherfucker didn't move. He didn't move an inch. So I hit him again and he's still standing there looking at me. And then I see kind of like, his eyebrows just like point down and I'm like, Oh fuck. Like I feel like Tanahashi would have in that G1 final when he's trying to, you know, kick the shit out of Tenzan and he's just the raging bulls just not going down. So yeah, they're, they're two of my favorites to, uh, to, to share a locker room with and kind of appreciate what they've built for us, for the rest of us coming in in this current iteration and generation of, of wrestlers and, you know, the, the friendship and allegiance I have with them is is something that I definitely hold dear because it, it it's something that Robbie in 2004 would have never fathomed. We love Mr. Brett, as we affectionately call him here. So. Uh, he might he might be becoming Mr. Coffee by his I Twitter. Yeah. And I'm all for that because I go so far out of my way when I'm in Japan to find bougie coffee shops. It's That's one of the things I'd probably write about in my diary. Oh, no, there's no good coffee in Japan. No, I mean, there's plenty of good coffee. Uh, even Starbucks in Japan is better than Starbucks in the States, I think. But I yeah. am a bit of a coffee snob in general, and I will purposely go on websites and Google and hunt for the five-star rated, highly attended, bougie, niche, kind of privately owned coffee place in whatever town we're in, just because I want to experience that and say i went there um and sometimes i find a really cool hidden gem too so uh i i do keep that to myself a little bit well you gotta tell mr bread mr coffee you guys to I'll go take, out and i'll take <laughs> him out for a date yeah. me and kojima holding hands skipping down the lane there's two taking a leg on straight next time you're in melbourne as well yeah <laughs> oh mr bread in melbourne let's go well i do have one question and maybe we should make this the last one here but uh you know, Robbie, Mr. Robbie, excuse me. You told us this a long time ago. It's been quite a while. Um, why are we better than the Super J cast? Oh, because you're never as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, take take that Damon, take that Joe. Suck my eggs. 